Welcome to the Cosmic Collective Podcast. I'm your host and psychic medium, Mads, and in this community, we talk about all things spiritual awakening, higher consciousness, and unlocking the path back to your soul. Welcome to the Collective. Well, hello, happy Monday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day it is for you when you are tuning in to this podcast. I am excited. I am so happy that you're here. I think we're going to have a very lovely, deep conversation today. And I think this is going to be really healing for a lot of people. I think it's going to be really validating for a lot of people, maybe very insightful. I know learning about this back when I was in university was honestly just pretty life-changing for me. And... I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal experiences, obviously, in this podcast. You guys know I am working on vulnerability. And I do just want to say that whenever you guys message me, you DM me on Instagram about the podcast and, you know, you just are celebrating the topics and your life and sharing them with me, but also thanking me for my vulnerability, please know that it means a lot. It's very, very encouraging and I really appreciate it. So thank you for, you know, just being equally a safe space for me to be human. A lot of the feedback I got after last week's episode was be vulnerable, cry in the episodes. This is how we connect with you best, like when we see this and feel this and hear this. So I'm going to try and just, I'm not going to say do more of that because it's not really about doing anything. It's just about being myself and being authentic and kind of flowing through things the way that I normally would and not feeling like I need to mask anything or hide anything. And that actually comes with some past life shit that I've recently been clearing out. If you're new to the Cosmic Collective, I talk about this pretty extensively in some of the earlier episodes, I think it's like episode 38 or 39 or something like that. I remember my past lives. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, I remember the majority of them and, you know, that's just from a lot of the mediumship stuff and it's always very trippy. Like even as someone, I know a lot of people who remember their past lives. I have family members who remember past lives. I have been remembering mine since I was about five years old, which is common in childhood but retention of it is not as common it's becoming more common um, but it's just trippy and this whole like unmasking and just being myself has a lot to do with a lifetime not one that I've shared with you guys yet I will at some point um, but I'm still like moving through that right now so I'm just trying to not lose my mind at how trippy it is to remember things like that and to kind of integrate and process everything that's going on but it's, uh, yeah, anyways, it's just, it's super, it's super interesting. I'm losing my train of thought already because, you know, I have a bit of a squirrel brain sometimes. I like to bounce back and forth with all of these little thoughts in my head that, I don't know, maybe it's an existentialist thing. Like there's just so much philosophical questioning going on in my head sometimes, especially when I sit down and record with you guys, um, or for you guys, my mind just kind of goes into all these different thoughts and questions and spaces and it's uh it's funny honestly to listen back to the episode sometimes I'm like I don't know how anyone follows this I don't know how how this conversation makes sense but apparently it does and I'm just gonna be myself we're gonna flow with it but this is gonna be an important conversation it also has to come with an inevitable like trigger warning 
we're going to be talking about different kinds of traumas. Like I can't even just, I'm not even going to list off traumas, but like we're going to be talking about pretty much all of them. I am going to be careful with the words that I use because I think certain words are super harsh. And I also, usually podcast algorithms are like pretty fine. They don't like light up um, with certain keywords, but you know, we still want to, we just, we want to keep things soft, uh, soft and gentle. And, um, obviously we're having this conversation with a lot of empathy and compassion. So please know that. And I do just want to say if at any point this conversation gets really triggering from you for you and you need to tune out, um, shut it off. You know, you don't have to put yourself through that. Um, this conversation is just meant to be insightful and helpful and validating for you as a human being, because, you know, it's actually interesting. I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into the topic in a minute, but I was having this conversation on Monday at the co-working cafe that I go to. And we were all just kind of, there was three of us just kind of having this conversation because I had been giving a bit of information to um, one of the baristas about just certain things astrologically that related to someone that they know and had that person's consent obviously it wasn't just like airing out someone's someone's life um there was full consent involved in this entire conversation with everything and you know I was talking with someone else in this conversation we were kind of just touching on the topic of trauma and there is this misconception I think that with a lot of people that trauma is like this really big event in your life that completely alters you and it can be that is a type of trauma but the reality is is that everybody has trauma on some level in some way because of the way like if you just want to know like why that is I'm going to give you the answer right now and then if you want the details you can listen to me talk for however long I'm going to talk for but the the reason why and how everyone has trauma is because if you were born honestly, before like 2015, you were raised by a parent that did not learn emotional regulation and emotional intelligence. Like it's very rare. And then on top of that, there is also so much toxic social programming and social conditioning that has affected generations. And when we look into epigenetics, which is the, it's basically how behavior impacts genetics, when we look at the behaviors that were adapted, the beliefs mentally that were adapted, which in turn affect behavior due to poor social conditioning and the lack of emotional self-regulation, emotional coping, emotional intelligence, we end up experiencing psychological and emotional trauma. And trauma at the end of the day is an adverse experience that ends up creating a harmful behavior in the future, whether that's being avoidant, being scared of relationships, of feeling like you're not worthy. And the reality is, is that everyone, everyone, I am telling you, everyone on some level is working through healing a rejection or an abandonment wound. And oftentimes a worthiness wound. That's kind of like that kind of comes on top of those two because rejection and abandonment lead to self-worth issues and complexes. And this is because unfortunately due to the 
poor social programming, the toxic masculine patriarchal framework that affects both men and women, and honestly anyone of any gender, um, deeply affects the queer community absolutely as well, and marginal other marginalized communities. Like there, it's just so all encompassing and so intertwined is that this social conditioning, like I mentioned a few moments ago, affects the way that you work through your emotions, acknowledge your emotions, feel your emotions, and adapt your life, your behavior, your mindset, your beliefs because of these repressed emotions that you don't know how to deal with. And this is because your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents and all the way back never learned and never had the opportunity to work through their emotions. And thankfully, we're at a point in you know, society that as a collective, we're starting to understand how important emotional health, mental health is. And this is changing and this is creating, you know, different levels of healing in in individuals. It's why a lot of people are going through these spiritual awakenings or um, going through deep levels of ancestral healing. And here's the thing, this healing is not inherently spiritual, Right. I mean, I'm a believer that everything is inherently spiritual because we're literally souls having a human experience. But, you know, let's push that aside for people who I mean, maybe don't jive with that. I'm a very scientifically based person. Ninety percent of the work that I do is backed by different fields of science, whether that's neuroscience, quantum physics, psychology. It is backed by that. And I love that because I am someone who like the way that my work would be referred to is as an evidential medium. There needs to be like like information and facts that cannot be argued. And that's why I really like talking to you guys about these different kinds of topics as much as I love talking about the spiritual. Don't get me wrong. The woo-woo is a good time for me too, obviously. Uh, but there is the, this healing process that can be spiritual and for a lot of people does lead to spiritual and philosophical or existential questioning because once you get through a certain layer of healing you start to ask yourself okay I've worked through this conditioning I've worked through why and how my mindset was programmed why it was that way I'm changing it I am literally rewiring and remapping my brain my body my nervous system But why did all of that conditioning happen in the first place? Why was that even a thing? And some people come to that point and they want to know the why. And some people come to that point and they're like, I don't really care about the why. I just care about the fact that I'm now healing it and I'm a better version of myself. Both of those outcomes, absolutely fabulous. Neither is better than the other. It's really just a personal preference on how you want to experience life and the the, the lens that you want to view life through, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. So I just want to preface that with this. This is we're going to be talking about um, attachment styles, everything like that, collective traumas, individual traumas, PTSD, CPTSD, psychological resilience, comparing traumas. And I just want you to know that this is a safe space to feel whatever comes up for you. I think a lot of times, you know, these conversations can bring up emotions that have a person sitting there thinking, why am I even feeling this? Like I'm feeling this emotion, whatever that emotion is, but they don't know why they're feeling it. And that's okay. I taught a masterclass back in June. And I remember in the chat after I had brought 
everyone through the hypnotherapy, some people were saying, I felt this, but I, I don't know why. And I always, you know, recommend start there. You don't need to know why, you just need to feel. Sometimes putting the stress on figuring out why can be very overwhelming, especially if you're new to this kind of work, like doing this like self-development and self-healing and self-introspection work, self-introspection. Okay, that's not a word, but anyways, we'll go with it. Uh, But go easy with yourself. Focus on feeling. If you want to take it further after this episode, I will... Um, share with you a couple of follow-up questions that you can ask yourself with some emotions. I'm just going to take note of that here. And we'll we'll set you up to kind of help you work through it. But other than that, I think let's just get into it. I really don't know how long I'm going to be talking, but I know you guys live for the longer episodes. So I feel like this is probably going to be one of them. So First things first, what is trauma? So according to the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, trauma is an emotional response to a horrific event that often includes the aftermath or the emotional aftermath of denial and shock and can lead to long-term experiences of PTSD, anxiety, and depression. So I think that this is a pretty standard view of what trauma is but there have been a lot of developments in the the field of different fields of psychology um, and of course in in biology with the studies in epigenetics and what we're learning about how behavior and environment affects genes turning on and off actually i really love dr joe dispenza's book you are the placebo talks so 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 much about this i also think in his book breaking the habit of being yourself it's covered but there are so there are so many individuals who who are talking about this now and doing deep studies on this scientifically it's very cool and we're beginning to understand that a trauma can happen yes and and obviously have the impact like someone who goes to war or you know someone who has experienced a very horrific event or experience. Yes, obviously that is trauma, but what we're now understanding is that because of the lack of emotional intelligence and emotional nurturing that the generations leading up to Gen Z have experienced because of what has been passed down intergenerationally or ancestrally, however you want to phrase it, is actually a result of trauma and that trauma has been passed down genetically which means that everyone is storing subconsciously some sort of trauma and they're acting out of trauma responses and we know this because the majority of individuals have an insecure attachment style and we're going to talk about those in a minute i don't want to get too ahead of myself i have extensive notes for this episode because i wanted to keep it consistent because i know i will just like usual ping into a million different streams of thought and i want this to be so digestible for anyone who is starting with this or who is really deep into this work already but what i'm trying to sum up here is that we're understanding that trauma is not just an isolated event it is also the result of traumas that have not been healed emotionally psychologically physically that are being passed down genetically through the lineage and are causing subconscious and conscious 
blocks and behavioral adaptations that are creating problems for individual welfare mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, etc. Okay? And so that's basically to say that everyone will have on some level of trauma. And I think there's a term like called micro trauma. I don't know if I fuck with the whole micro thing because I feel like when the ego, when the human mind hears micro, it thinks it thinks that it's meaningless. It's it's not a big deal. And I think that hopefully through this conversation, you're going to understand that whatever has been conditioned into you and passed down to you intergenerationally actually needs a lot of attention. And this conversation is meant to help you become empowered with what is going to come into your awareness, not to make you feel like you're fucked up. And this is the thing, like I have had clients who have come to me and they've said, Mads, I have no trauma. I had an amazing childhood. I had this, I had this, I had this. I have no trauma. I promise you there's nothing to work through. And I was like, okay, with these clients, I always say, okay, right? Because a big part of my work is ethical practice. I'm never going to go up to someone and be like, Hey, you have trauma. First of all, unethical. Second of all, not going to be well-received or just not going to be received at all, (laughs) honestly. Um, So what happens is we end up working through different limiting beliefs, um, different emotions that have been arising through you know, the client's life journey, what their, what their challenges are. And we basically take that and we work our way all the way back to the very first time they learned this, they experienced this, that they started believing this and they realize that it comes from things that their parents taught them, whether that was, that was directly or indirectly or childhood experiences that affected them again, directly or indirectly that in turn created a trauma response in the brain that has adapted their behavior and their belief systems that in some way reflect a fear of being rejected, a fear of being abandoned, not feeling good enough, feeling like they need to be perfect, not being able to show or share their emotions for whatever fear they have that will will be the result of being vulnerable, feeling like they don't have a safe space to feel, feeling like they don't know how to feel their emotions or how to sit in the mind, a fear of sitting in the mind. Like there is so much complexity that comes with this. And then, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks later, after diving into all of this and going back to the root cause and working through how this has been passed down intergenerationally, my clients will look at me and say, holy fuck, that's intergenerational trauma. And I go, yeah. And they're like, shit, I thought I didn't have any of that. And the reality is, is that everyone has it. And so that's why I'm having this conversation. And honestly, I'm really, really glad that I was at the the co-working cafe on Monday because I honestly would not have been inspired to create this podcast episode and to talk about this because honestly, I just thought everyone knew this, not in like an egotistical kind of way, just because I have been studying this for, how old am I? I've been studying this for about, oh my God, I'm getting old. (laughs) I've been studying this for like eight years almost. And so for me, it's like, to me, it's now just common sense, right? Like if you study algebra or like, I don't know, you work in IT, like there are just certain things that computer wise are common sense to you that for me would not be common sense at all. So I'm just really glad that I was inspired to have this conversation because I think it's an important one because like I said, everyone's living with this and dealing with this. So 
these traumas and the traumas that you're experiencing, especially if you're someone who's like, I've never experienced a horrific event in my life. This is like really catered to you is the fact that, you know, there are still traumas that are programmed in your DNA that have been passed down to you intergenerationally. So this leads to attachment styles. And this is something, oh my God, it's so fun. It's so fun. And a little, a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's fun, but I think it's also a little jarring for some people to become aware of the facts of attachment styles. So anyone who was born up until Gen X has an insecure attachment style because literally those, the parents, and like I said, everyone does the best that they can. Parents always do the best that they can, right? But they didn't, they, the generations Gen X and before we're in a socio-political climate where dealing with emotions was really not a priority. It was a very big survival mode energy and they, they never learned. Like psychology was still relatively new. There were still some pretty horrific and unethical studies being conducted in psychology actually back in the 60s and things like that. So it was, it was emotional understanding and psychological understanding was a very new field and it wasn't being taught to everybody right it was you you sit down shut up eat your meat and potatoes go to work do what you're told you know all of that stuff that was that was the energy of of the collective at that time and so because of that parents who are gen x and raising millennial and gen z children have also passed down this lack of emotional understanding. And this is something that is getting better with time. I think that, you know, there definitely are. I've, I've met some Gen X parents who, who did the healing, who were way ahead of their time and did a lot of healing and did a lot of self-reflection and diving deep into themselves and were really the forebringers of what we now call gentle parenting. But it's, it was extremely uncommon back then. It's very common now, but it was extremely uncommon back then. And so because of that, insecure attachment styles have been passed down even further down the line to millennials and Gen Z children and who are now adults for the most part. And this means that you are either anxiously attached, avoidant, or disorganized. So there are a few different categories here. And the reality is, and this is this is the jarring fact that whenever you learn this in psychology, I remember taking attachment theory in university and being like, you have got to be fucking shitting me because the bar is so low. Guys, the bar is so low to develop a secure attachment style. Okay, the bar, the bar is on the floor when we talk about how much of a percentage needs to be met. And I'm going to tell you in a little minute, but the bar is so low, you could step over it like you step over a little baby puddle, okay? And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because if the bar is that low and 98 to 99% of people do not have a secure attachment style until they do the self-healing work, think of how much collective trauma and poor social conditioning the human collective has gone through up until this day and age. Like, I just want you to reflect on that, okay? So to have a secure attachment style, which means that you feel completely safe in relationships, you're not anxious in relationships, you're not avoidant of emotional vulnerability with people, 
you know, all of those things. We're going to talk about the, the attachment styles in just a moment. But to, or maybe we should talk about that first. Should we talk about that first? I feel like maybe that makes sense. Oh, anyways, I'm already on this, this wavelength, so I'm just going to go with it. But then I'll recap you on what the attachment styles are. But basically, to have a secure attachment style, like think of the most healthy way that you could live and view relationships. Actually, a good way to test this is actually to look at your relationship with money. And sorry, let me, sorry, I need to clarify. Your relationship with money will reflect your attachment style. However, just because you might have a secure relationship with money and a secure attachment to money and finances does not mean you have a secure attachment in your relationships. It might be different for people, but until you do the healing, sometimes it's often reflected in in that. It also depends on financial traumas that you would have experienced if um, poverty or financial struggles were passed down through your line ancestrally. So there's a lot of factors with that. So I would recommend looking at your relationship with finances as a separate category and then your relationship with relationships and emotions in another category and kind of compare and see where they're similar and where they differ. But to have a very secure relationship, to feel stable, to feel confident, to feel safe, being vulnerable, to feel like, you know, you're, you're not afraid of the outcomes with your partner. You trust your partner. You're not doubting your worth in the relationship. You're not, you know, constantly attached to your partner, needing to know everything that they're doing all of the time, or not trying to avoid relationships because you're scared of opening up to have. So if, you know, if that's how you're feeling, you're feeling really secure in these relationships, you're not acting in those trauma responses. That means that 30% or more of your emotional and psychological needs were met in childhood, which means that for 98 to 99% of the human collective who has an insecure attachment style means that zero to 30% of their psychological and emotional needs were met. 30%, 30, 30%, that's it. Like we're not even saying 50, we're not saying 60, we're not saying 70, 80, 90% needed to be met in childhood because you know, with the things that were going on sociopolitically back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even all of the trauma that has been passed down throughout, you know, generations of war and patriarchal society and toxic masculinity, like you know, reaching for 50 to 90% of a secure attachment, that would be a lot. But the bar is 30. 30, guys. 30 fucking percent. The bar is so unbelievably low. Oh my God, I was going to make a joke. Should I make the joke? The bar is so unbelievably low. It reminds me of when I was dating my first ex. That's how low the bar is. The bar is so low. It need like, it's just, it's so low, okay? The thing is, though, is that I hope also hearing that you understand that if your parents could not meet that bar, first of all, they didn't sit there and say, oh my God, you know, little Susie here, she needs 30% of these needs met so that she can have a secure attachment style. Fuck Susie, 30% is too much effort. Your parents obviously weren't thinking that, okay? Just like their parents weren't thinking that. Parents do the absolute best that they can and I have to stress that and I stress that to you and you guys know this if you're a regular listener to this podcast you know I grew up with an incredibly abusive mother incredibly abusive mother okay so that's a whole other conversation we can get into that after and I can kind of recap you on that but even a parent who is like that is still doing the best they can with what they have in my situation 
you know, my mother was just more focused on self-preservation and her own vices and avoiding her own emotions and her own accountability. So she projected and, you know, deflected everything onto her children and created a lot of trauma for her children. And, you know, a good portion of that was conscious and intentional. And a portion of that came from a subconscious, you know, came from her subconscious programming from her own childhood trauma that came from her parents' childhood trauma, you know? So there are, there are things like that, but the majority of parents are not sitting there being like, how can I fuck up my kid? You know, like, honestly, like I like to believe that, and I I truly do believe, and I feel like this is being proven more and more. So especially when we look at, you know, children's belief systems, but humans are inherently good and kind and loving. Judgment and pain and trauma and abuse and, you know, egocentrism and narcissism, that's learned and taught. It's an adaptation to trauma. And I think that whenever someone acts in those ways, someone's very toxic, someone's very abusive, they really are just acting out of their own trauma responses because they didn't heal. And again, and then again, this gets passed down intergenerationally. So back to the whole secure attachment style thing and the 30%. Your parents, the majority of you listening, your parents really did the best they could, but because they didn't have the emotional healing, the emotional welfare, the emotional intelligence, the emotional regulation that we are now learning and experiencing today as adults and as children are now experiencing today through gentle parenting and gentle teaching, they were not able to teach that to you, which is why if you're listening to this, you're probably 18 years or older. That's why you were put on timeout. And if you know me, you know, I think I posted a reel about this. Maybe it's not up yet. Hmm. I'll have to check and see. But I talk about how I don't believe in timeouts because what's happening is a child who is having a temper tantrum, right? Timeouts are typically reserved for children who are like eight years old or younger. At that age, you do not have a logical reasoning mind, okay? You just have an emotional mind. We talk about this in the dimensions episode where we talk about the dimensions of consciousness. When you are a young child, you do not have an ego identity. You are a strictly emotional being. You understand who you are. You understand that you're an individual to some degree, but you do not have a reasoning mind. You do not have an analytical, logical mind. So when you feel something and you can't express how you're feeling because you don't have a logical analytical or reasoning mind right your frontal lobe has not developed to that point yet you have not matured to that point yet that happens typically around ages 12 or like 10 through 12 9 through 12 you don't know how to express your emotions and when you put a child on timeout for not being able to express their emotions basically what you're telling them indirectly and how their subconscious becomes wired and again there are studies on this is that their subconscious absorbs that as I can't feel my emotions because it causes me to be isolated, rejected, and abandoned, and no one helps me through my emotions, which in turn leads that person as an adult not being able to understand their emotions, being afraid of their emotions because they never learned how to cope with and deal with their emotions, emotional regulation, which we're learning a lot of now um, in today's day and age. And that's what ends up getting programmed. And I'm not saying let your kids kick, scream, and hit you. What I'm saying is learn how to teach them to regulate deep breaths, hugs, being very gentle, getting on their level. When you, I don't know if you've ever been sad, 
you probably have because you're a human being listening to this imagine being 20 something years old and having an absolute breakdown like think of like the worst emotional fit you've ever had in your life and then have someone come and tell you that you need to calm down or go be alone you'd be so fucking pissed off like if I'm crying with one of my friends and they were to look at me and say you need to calm down or you need to go into another room I would literally say fuck you don't ever talk to me again right like that would just be so unsupportive and yet that's what we're doing to children and this is just one of many examples through the the generations and through psychological development that we're going to talk about today and that are very real and happening and we're experiencing the repercussions of now as adults that create adults who don't know how to deal and cope with or feel or embrace all of their emotions and I say this as someone who used to be fucking terrified of my emotions like hello drug addict like yeah, I didn't really like my emotions at all. They fucking terrified the shit out of me. My mind was the scariest place for me to be for a very large portion of my life. And understanding why that was and understanding how the mind works and how emotions work and all of that, not even from the spiritual perspective, although that was also super helpful and healing for me, has been so enlightening to know that this is all just programming. And the great thing about what we're learning in science with neuroplasticity is that your brain can actually be reprogrammed. It's literally like a computer. You just got to add new coding into it. You do have to override the other coding, which takes time. And if you want to learn more about that, I have a free workshop on this, by the way. Everything I'm talking about here today, I have the free workshop below. I'll link it in the show notes. It's free. You just sign up to my email list and you'll get more, you know, goodness and content about what I'm sharing with you now today in those weekly newsletters and you get the free workshop. So I really recommend it. I bring you through an entire experience of sitting with your emotions so that you can learn to understand them. It's really, really good. And I'm saying it's really good because those are the reviews and the feedback that I got. I'm not just saying it's really good because I think it's really good. I'm saying that because of the the people who experienced the, the workshop. So going back to attachment styles, because of the, the lack of emotional intelligence and the knowledge and understanding of, you know, what children need and what humans need for psychological and emotional well-being, the majority of people have an insecure attachment style. So the anxious attachment style is someone who is very fearful in relationships. They feel like they always want to be close to the person they 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 need to like constantly like keep tabs and like know what's going on and know the outcomes and this is someone who is really i mean communication is key for any relationship like whether it's romantic or platonic or familial or professional like communication is key it is king we love it we're here for it it's necessary for a relationship to thrive but with an anxious attachment style this is someone who's going to need an excessive amount of communication, a lot of reassurance that the relationship is in a good place so that they can feel safe. An anxious avoidant attachment style. So we have anxiously attached, anxiously avoidant, and then the third one is disorganized. So anxiously avoidant is someone who feels safer being distant from people. Uh, basically kind of having like a wall up with the, the majority of people in their life, not bearing a lot of vulnerability and 
fearing vulnerability, fearing getting close to people. The commonality between the anxiously attached and the anxiously avoidant, both of them fear rejection and abandonment. Both of them fear that they're going to do something or that something is going to happen in the relationship that is going to cause the person to reject them, hurt them, leave them, make them feel like shit about themselves. It's the same fear. It's just, it manifests differently. Now, if you're someone who's like, well, wait a minute. I think I got a little bit of both of those. Like I avoid relationships, but then once I'm in them, I'm very anxious in them. Well, you have a disorganized attachment style because disorganized is a little bit of both. And this is something that I can speak on personally because I... It's really interesting. So I've gone through a lot of healing and I think it takes years and a lot of self-awareness and a lot of, you know, getting the help that you need to understand your attachment style and heal it. I've been open about this. I spent years in therapy. I grew up with a lot of childhood trauma. Therapy was like, therapy was not just necessary. It was a rite of fucking passage for me, okay? I healed so much from that shit and I really recommend it. Um, for anyone else who who has gone through a lot honestly I recommend therapy even if you haven't gone through a lot just talking to someone who doesn't really know you or your life to have that objective perspective in your life is so helpful but I used to have an anxious attachment style I would get so anxious in my relationships I wouldn't vocalize it I it was just like something that was happening internally like I never really put that on my partner I or like my friendships or anything like that it was actually it's actually interesting how it it would manifest I would just feel it all on my own and would get so so anxious and then they would message me being totally normal and I'd be like oh wait like everything's fine it was so 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 interesting and then I'm not exactly sure at what point let me just see here if I can kind of like reflect on it I think it was after my last relationship. I became very like indifferent to relationships and connection and some shit went down in my life and I became very avoidant of relationships. And I've actually been healing that uh, for a hot minute and it's going super well. I'm feeling a lot better about it. But even with friends and, you know, loved ones in my life, you know, if you were to, if you knew where I was, let's say, what year are we? 2023, July, July, 2023. If you knew where I was this time last year, you would be in awe of how much my friendships and relationships have transformed because I've healed my avoidant attachment style. I think I've healed, I want to say like 90 to 95% of it. I, I think honestly, especially since Mystic passed away, I think I've healed a lot more of it because avoidant is like, I'm going to avoid vulnerability. I'm going to avoid connecting with people. And one thing I remember and I still experience sometimes now is what's called a vulnerability hangover where I will open up to someone like one of my friends or my loved ones. I'll open up to someone. I'll have like a very intimate conversation with them. Very candid, very honest, very raw, very emotional. And then the next day I am so beyond anxious and exhausted and basically it's because I'm not accustomed anymore to being vulnerable with people I'm I was very for a few years 
for a while uh, honestly like the majority of my adulthood was like keeping people at an arm's length and just kind of like keeping them close enough where I could have relationships and friendships, but not really letting myself be fully seen for who I was because I was afraid and healing that even right now. Oh my God. I can literally feel it right now where I'm like, oh my God, I'm like sharing way too much. I'm getting like way too vulnerable right now. This is actually very hard for me. Um, And like part of me is like, just like stop recording right now, go delete this and then continue. And I'm not going to do that because literally this is the process of working through things like this. But that is, that's the avoidant attachment style. And it's gotten a lot easier. And I actually want to say in the last few weeks, I have, I have had a lot of growth with this too. I have gotten very vulnerable. Why do I want to cry? Oh, I'm definitely like, okay, I'm definitely moving through some stuff while I record this. This is so interesting. Vulnerability is such a bitch sometimes. This is so funny. I'm glad, you know what though? I'm so glad that you guys are hearing this because now you can understand what the process is like and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is supportive for you in some way with your own process. But I, in the last few weeks, have had to get really, really open with my friends because grief has been very isolating and I have been kind of defaulting a little bit back and like pulling back and just like not really engaging in conversations with my friends or my family And I ended up opening up to one of my friends and just saying that like, hey, like, sorry, I've been completely MIA. Like, this is what I'm experiencing. And I just, oh my God, I'm going to get so emotional. I literally can't do this right now. (laughs) Oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. This is so uncomfortable. Okay. I've got this. We can do this. I'm not editing this podcast. We're just going to put it out raw. Okay. But I got very vulnerable with one of my friends and basically said, you know, what was going on. And the payoff was amazing. The support, the love, the acceptance, being seen, it was so incredible. And I, I, I largely owe that to her. She's just such a beautiful human being. And, you know, that's why we're such close friends. But it reminded me of like, oh, this whole like pulling back and being avoidant of, you know, deep connection in my relationships it really is just a fear response. It's really just a trauma response. And I can continue working through that. And I feel like, you know, the right friends, the right family members, the right partner for you will always be so supportive of this, will give you the space to grow and navigate on your own when you need it, but will also be there for you fully and openly and loving you unconditionally in that process and and showing up for you as well and giving you opportunities to go deeper and to push past your fears my most expansive relationships both like romantically familial platonic and professionally have been the relationships that are conducive to that in a mutual way not just for myself but for them as well right so those are the different kinds of attachment styles and disorganized is often going to have both ends of the spectrum for me, it isn't so much experiencing them both at the same time. It's just that I went from one to the other, which also constitutes as disorganized. So safe to say my parents did the best that they could, but you know, that 30% was still not met. And I can tell you right now, the reason that is, is because the 30% was ab, I'd be surprised if even 10% was met for, for some of my parents, because bless their beautiful souls. They are doing so much healing now, but my God, when I, when you learn the history of how, this is the thing, if you're struggling with your parents, I want you to go and ask them how they were raised. 
what was their childhood like? What did they get from their parents? What did they not get from their parents? What did they wish they got more of from their parents? You're going to see a whole new side to your parents after that. I've had these conversations with my parents. It's very eye-opening and it's very empathy-inducing. I see my parents completely differently. I see them as human beings who are just happen to be my parents. And I think that's, as adults, that's the way we need to view our parents, right? I also think that if you're an adult who is listening to this and doing this work, a big part of your life indirectly and maybe for some of you directly is actually going to be helping your own parents heal from their programming, their social conditioning, their childhood trauma, their intergenerational trauma. So keep that in mind. Now, a big part of these intergenerational traumas are also what we refer to as collective traumas. So this is things like man up, don't cry. Boys don't cry. Boys don't have emotions. I say this all the time. And I'm going to say it again because statistically the listeners on this podcast are equally male to female. I, I actually wrote a poem about this and I haven't, it's not in any of the books yet. It is, it is a pretty badass poem. I am not going to lie. It is a good one. And I basically write about how I'm going to, I'm going to share the first line with you. If I can fucking find it. I don't know if I can find it. There are hundreds, arguably thousands of these poems on on my laptop but I basically say like in a in a world where women are so marginalized it's actually the men that I feel sorry for and don't come for me I am a feminist but I am not a far left feminist I'm a feminist who believes in equity between men and women and anyone of any gender I am not someone who thinks that women should be superior to men. I am. I think we should. We all just need to maybe like fuck the whole gender thing and just say, hey, we're all humans. We're all equally deserving of opportunity, love, and prosperity. Like maybe let's just maybe let's just you know leave it there. Um, it is the men that I feel sorry for. Let me see. Yeah. Oh, it's supposed to go in my second book. Yeah. I maybe I'll share this. Maybe I'll share this. You know, I actually, I, I had a really great conversation with um, one of my friends and colleagues. His name's Jordan here on the podcast. Um, actually, the friend who I was just talking about, who I like got really vulnerable with is his wife. Uh, she's a, an incredible friend of mine. We're like the best of friends. And her husband and I are friends as well. They were both clients of mine at the very, 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 very beginning of my career. And he and I had this really beautiful conversation on toxic masculinity on the podcast. So I'm going to write below in the show notes what episode number that is. It is worth a listen for anyone, but especially for the men who are listening. Jordan is going to give you so much insight on working through your emotions and how that actually benefited all of his relationships and even his success in life. Um, But this poem that I wrote, I don't like reading my poems out loud. I think it's super weird. I don't think I have like a poetry speaking voice. I just don't. I think I've got like a very, I don't know, I'm a little goofy goof. Uh, <laughs> case in point with that statement. Um, but it, the, the first paragraph is, and in this world where women's voices take up space in a justified uproar, it is the men that I feel sorry for. And I go on to explain why that is. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'll post this uh, 
as like a reel or something that again feels very vulnerable because actually that posting that would be so controversial. I feel like I'd have a lot of left-wing feminists coming for me, uh, but maybe they could listen to this and understand why I'm saying that. Anyways, we're on a tangent and we're about an hour into this episode. So let me get back on track here. But the, you know, the whole men don't cry, boys don't cry, men don't feel emotions, men aren't supposed to feel emotions, men have to be the rock. Uh, that's, that's a collective program and therefore a collective trauma or a collective conditioning. The reason why I'm referring to it as everyone has trauma and everyone has experienced collective trauma is because these social programs leave a traumatic imprint on the subconscious mind, on the brain, on genetics, which in turn cause maladaptive behaviors in adulthood. That's, which is essentially fucking trauma. So that's, you know, it's all synonymous at the end of the day. Other collective traumas are, that's for the 1%. What else is a collective trauma that people have experienced? Um, Women are hysterical. Oh my God, if I ever hear a man, or even often, you know what though? Actually, I saw a TikTok the other day from a creator who, oh, it was Tara Michelle. Yes. Oh my God. Love her so much. She's a YouTuber. She was basically saying, she's like, you know, it's not the men. She was talking about being happy single. She's 27 or 28. And I relate to this because I'm as happy single as I am in a healthy relationship. Like I'm happy both ways. I think both phases of life are super, super, super expansive and beneficial. But she says how when she talks about being happy single and how she's not settling, which yes, you go girl, don't settle, fuck that, raise the bar even higher. (laughs) She says that, you know, it's not the men who are cautioning me about being close to my 30s and needing to settle down and being too picky on what I want in a, in a man and a partner and a spouse. She's like, it's the women. So as much as I say that, you know, I don't want the men calling women hysterical. It's it, oftentimes it's women shitting on other women. Again, though, that is learned from social conditioning, which is a toxic masculine conditioning. Toxic masculinity does not just affect men. It affects women, too. It affects everybody. It literally affects everybody. But anyways, these are just ideas, um, examples, I should say, rather. These are just examples of collective traumas and social programming. Now, other types can obviously be due to marginalization, whether that's economically, racially, natural disasters, war-torn countries, things like that. And then obviously from different social programs, which are kind of what we were just talking about. And I grab some water here. Holy cow. Oh my God, speaking of cows, go on TikTok and search up Highland cows. Thank me later when you have a serotonin boost for the day. Your little pop of serotonin in a heavy podcast episode. And then outside of collective traumas, there are individual traumas. So this is an experience that one person experienced alone. They weren't with anyone or they weren't, they're not part of a collective group who has experienced this horrific event. They experienced it individually. This could be something like an abusive relationship. S-A, if you know what I mean, the letter S dot letter A. I'm not going to go there. I'm not, I'm not using the vulgar words for that. I really don't like the R word. The R word is very harsh. I don't like using it. Poverty, homelessness, addiction, a car accident, passing of a loved one, different things like that. Um, so there are different ways that these different kinds of traumas will affect people. There's also different ways that um, the healing is experienced through this. 
collective traumas can sometimes lead more so to trauma bonding afterward also but so can individual traumas let's not get into the whole trauma bond thing but anyway so there's different kinds of traumas obviously and, and that a large part of that has to do with social conditioning which means that everyone on some level has trauma and then the other thing and this was one of my favorite things to learn about when i was taking psychology is psychological resilience. And I actually have a really cool psychological study that was done that I'm going to share with you guys today. And it really just, it drives this whole point home and it brings in the understanding of what would later become epigenetics. Well, epigenetics was already a thing, but how this relates to epigenetics comes in with this as well. As you can tell, I love science. (laughs) Also, if anyone listening to this is also like, yes, I'm a science nerd too, please email me book recommendations. I'm always looking for more books on like human biology, human subconscious mind. Well, the subconscious mind is human. Anyways, again, not the point. Um, Quantum physics, theoretical physics, um, philosophical understandings, metaphysics, calculus, literally anything. If you have anything that's nerdy that you want to recommend my way, please, I'm always searching for new books and I always want to learn more. So I would love if you would share that with me. But anyways, back to psychological resilience. So psychological resilience is part of your genetic coding. So it's in your DNA and it determines how much that you as a person can withstand emotionally and psychologically, even physically actually, before you break essentially. So if you've ever wondered why someone has a higher pain tolerance than you, even if you come from the same genetic lines, you you share the same um, biological family, it's because of your psychological resilience and other genetic factors when it comes to the physical pain as well, like different like neuroreceptors and things like that. But psychological resilience, if we're keeping it to the emotional and the psychological well-being here in this episode, which is what we're focusing on, is basically to say that one person can experience step-by-step, detail-for-detail, a particular trauma, and another person can experience, again, step-by-step, detail-for-detail, the exact same trauma, and they will emotionally and psychologically respond differently. For one person, it may not be as impactful in a negative sense. They might be able to bounce back quicker, heal quicker, go through the release of PTSD, the anxiety, the depression loads quicker and they might not even have those, I don't want to say deficits, repercussions, I guess, those consequences of the traumatic event because they are able to bounce back more quickly psychologically versus the other person. And that is why it's so important to not compare your trauma because you have no idea where your level of psychological resilience is in comparison to somebody else. So what might be a trauma for you might not be a trauma for someone else. What might be a trauma for someone else is not a trauma for you. And I know this firsthand because when I look at society and I look at things that, you know, some people identify as trauma, I'm like, how the fuck? Like in my brain, that is like, that's not trauma. But I also recognize that for that person, that is a very, 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 very real trauma, right? And it's because of these, you know, these these courses I took and studying psychology that I'm able to understand this. And I think it's really fascinating. I've also been in the experience where someone has looked at me and been like, 
that's not trauma. I went through the same thing and I got over it. What are you talking about? And I'm sitting there being like, you have no idea (laughs) how horribly that situation impacted me. You have no idea. So it's really important to not compare trauma. It's really important that this goes both ways. You do not let someone else compare their trauma to yours, nor do you compare your trauma to someone else's. Okay. So There's a really famous case study of two brothers who were raised in an abusive household with an alcoholic father. And the psychologist that was behind this case study is Dr. Hans Selye. I don't know what nationality he is. Dr. Hans Selye. I think that's it. I think we're going to we're going to go with that. I apologize if it's wrong. But he basically studied these these two brothers. One was a very successful businessman, made a lot of money, was super, super, super successful. The other was an alcoholic, and I'm pretty sure he was homeless. And Dr. Hans, I'm not going to use his last name because I really don't know how to fucking pronounce it. But Dr. Hans basically went to these two brothers after studying them from their childhood and asked each brother a question and basically of like like why are you at where you where you are in life and literally the the brothers it's actually it's fucking astonishing they answered the question with the exact same fucking answer pretty much verbatim which was well my father I am the way that I am because of my father. One became like his father, became an alcoholic, and in turn became homeless because of his alcoholism and his addiction was so bad. The other became a successful businessman. Both, in their minds, are the product of their father. Two completely different lives. And this is what we look at when we understand psychological resilience. The individual, the brother who became an alcoholic and in turn, because of his addiction, became homeless, we would understand through this study had a, I don't want to use the word weaker, maybe lower, psychological resilience than his brother. And why that is, I'm not sure if that has been understood yet. It's been a while since I was in university and since I took these these courses. I'm not sure if there's been anything that has kind of come out and said like, okay, we understand why, you know, two family members will have variable degrees in psychological resilience. I'm not sure what that is. And if you do know, please email me. My email is in the show notes. I would love to learn more about this. Honestly, I'm probably going to Google it after. Um, But I think, you know, regardless, it's super, super interesting. And this is why we don't want to be judgmental of how people are coping with their trauma. And we also want to make sure that people have access to healing and coping with and working through their trauma, right? Which actually, I wasn't actually planning on mentioning this, but it's seriously the perfect time. I'm running a half marathon in September and it's a, what we call a benefit marathon, which is to say that it's raising money for different um, charitable organizations. And I actually have chosen to um, you know, my benefit is to Suicide Prevention Montreal. And mainly because, again, if you're new to the podcast, you don't know this, but I had an attempt back in March 2018. And because of my access to mental health help and resources and support, I'm obviously here today. My life is completely different. You can learn more about that um, with the earlier episodes in the podcast that talk about my journey and how I've gotten to where I am. I think there's two episodes um, about my life journey, but I believe 
just like I was just saying before I started mentioning um, this benefit, um, I believe everyone should have access to mental health care. I think that it's a standard. I think that it is a human right to be able to work through your emotions and your trauma. So if you want to help out some of the souls in my city, the beautiful humans that live here in Montreal, Canada, to have access to um, just mental health care and, and suicide prevention and making sure they're being taken care of, I will leave the link below. Um, you can donate there. Even if, listen, there are 5,000 people, there are more than 5,000 people who listen to this podcast every single month. If all of you donated a dollar, that would be such an incredible donation for Suicide Prevention Montreal. So I'm just going to leave it there. Um, and if you feel like that, um, that would be great. And if you aren't able to make a contribution financially, I would just love if you could share the page um, so that maybe someone in your network who is able to donate a dollar or five or 20 or 25 or whatever they're able to, to share um, will know about it and will maybe feel inclined to do that. So anyways, back to the episode. Yes, psychological resilience. I had to like look at my notes. Like, where are we? Psychological resilience. Okay, so this is why, again, at the end of the day, you don't want to compare trauma. Now, there is, when we, when we look at comparing trauma and we think about that, obviously you, we all respond differently. But one thing that I have seen professionally in, in my work in these last three and a half years is that people deal with, trauma very similarly because of poor social conditioning. So the majority of people don't feel their negative emotions because they believe negative emotions are bad and or because they are afraid of what will happen if they feel negative emotions. Some people feel like their negative emotions are going to overtake them and they're not going to survive them if they go into that deep, dark pit within themselves. And then oftentimes people are afraid they don't feel safe to be in their mind and explore their thoughts and their emotions and this is largely because they're afraid of what they're going to find about themselves and I have worked with hundreds of clients every single one of them has felt these things every single one and this is the the research part of my work that I really love because I take extensive notes in all of my sessions and I am able to quantify basically all of these these commonalities with people and it's it's honestly so cool I really love it I hate that everyone has to go through this but I love that I'm in a position where I get to teach people how to heal this and work through this and my free workshop actually brings you through the very beginning of this process so if you are someone who you know doesn't feel your negative emotions I want you to ask yourself why that is is there something that you're afraid of is it that you feel like it's pointless to feel them because logically you're over things? And this is one thing that I'll say about this is you can understand why you feel something and know that you're over it mentally, logically, analytically, but there is a part of your mind that is strictly emotional. And that part of you, that emotional part of you does not give a single fuck that you understand why something happened. That part of you does not care that you are logically over the situation that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. The emotional part of your being just cares that you feel it. And regardless of whether you're over something or you understand why things had to happen or you're even grateful that something didn't work out, you're still allowed to feel the way that you feel about it. And the more that you repress how you feel about it, 
the worse it's going to get because that feeling, although it might not be a present feeling, is a feeling, an emotion from your past that you actually did not have the chance to feel in the past. And so it's resurfacing now in the present and it's being asked, you're being asked to give it attention and feel it so that it can release. Because the thing is, once you feel an emotion, and yes, sometimes, oftentimes, you have to feel things more than once to really let them go and let it out. But the more that you do that, eventually that feeling is not gonna bother you anymore. It's not gonna come up because you're gonna have cleared it out. You're gonna have cleared out all the energy that's being stored because of repressing this emotion. Again, this is, we can make it spiritual, but at the base of this, this is just psychological. The other thing I want you to remember is that there are no bad emotions. There are emotions that feel great and there are emotions that feel not so great. But you're, you're human. You're here to experience polarity of emotions, polarity in every area of life, frankly. You need to feel the good and the bad. The happy is temporary, so is the sad. The excitement is temporary, so is the grief. It's all temporary. That's why you wake up in a different mood every day. Well, okay, so the majority of people wake up in a different mood every day. But I will say that hormonally, this is a little bit different because women are on a 28-day hormonal cycle and women are on a 24-hour hormonal cycle. So most often men can wake up feeling relatively the same every day as where women will notice um, more emotional fluctuations throughout the 28 days. But regardless of what your sex or your gender is, it's okay to wake up feeling something someday and then not feeling it the next. It's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. The more that you repress negative emotions, the more that you're storing that in your body and the more physical ailments you will experience because of that stored energy. And that is where psychology meets biology meets quantum physics. And that is a whole other conversation that I would love to have one day because it's super fun. And then for not feeling safe in your mind, not feeling equipped or feeling afraid to be in your mind, to experience your own thoughts, to introspect, to to feel your emotions and really dive into them, What I love to teach my clients, and this is something that my higher self taught to me when I was going through this process a few years ago, is anything you find in your mind that you don't like, you don't need to keep. You don't have to keep it. You find a personality trait that you don't like about yourself, you can change it. You don't have to keep it. You find a belief in your mind that you don't like, you don't have to keep it. You choose to believe something different. It's okay. If you don't like it, don't keep it. That's the beauty of being the the person that you are you don't have to be think or feel any which way you just get to do and feel and think and be whoever you want to be but you need to feel your emotions so that you can embody the truth of who you are right so those are my little notes on that and then the other thing i just want to briefly touch on is that obviously trauma can lead to post-traumatic stress also known as PTSD, it can also lead to CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So individuals or collective groups who have experienced different types of traumas are obviously going to process things differently. Experiencing a trauma once typically leads to PTSD, while experiencing multiple traumas over an extended period of time causes what's known as complex PTSD. And they're very similar, but very different. They both include Things like psychological and behavioral stress, flashbacks, hypervigilance, and adaptive behaviors, or we should say maladaptive behaviors. But PTSD is going to come from an experience like a car crash, essay, 
an abusive relationship, death of a loved one, a very serious injury or illness. And CPSD is going to be coming from like an abusive upbringing, um, neglect, abandonment, domestic violence, um, which could be a little bit different from an abusive relationship. It depends kind of the context. When we talk about domestic violence, we're kind of looking a little bit more in the familial um, structure of this. But again, they're very, very similar, but very different. I have experienced both. So from my experience, what I can share with you is the PTSD. So I was in a very abusive relationship years and years and years ago. Uh, I was quite young. It was with someone quite a bit older than I was at the time. And when I came out of the relationship, yeah, I had PTSD. It was really bad. I had flashbacks. The flashbacks were actually that flashbacks are actually really kind of fucked up. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like I remember one time I was home alone about like maybe a year after the relationship. Uh, and I think it was after, it was after I had gone to court against this person and I had won my case, by the way, in case you're curious, um, won my case against him for, um, domestic violence. And that was a good moment, uh, for my healing. But I remember being in my kitchen one day and I was making craft dinner and this is before my diagnosis of celiac disease. Oh, the good old days. Um, and I remember just standing at the kitchen counter. I was home alone and this huge flashback just came to me. And I'm not going to go through it because it's just it's not important. But it was insane. And I remember like coming out of it and being like, holy shit. That felt, that was like, like it was like putting VR goggles on. Is that what you call them? VR goggles? Virtual reality? Yeah, yeah. VR goggles. That's what it felt like. It was so, 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 so strange. And I had that for a little while, um, for a couple of years, and then it just slowly dissipated. And obviously, I was in therapy working through things, so I think that helped a lot. I know it helped a lot. But then because I grew up in an abusive um, household, like my childhood was also very traumatic, which meant that I was going through repetitive amounts of trauma growing up. And although this wasn't physical, mm, never mind, <laughs> redact. Anyway, um, there were re repeated traumas growing up in a portion of my childhood while I was at my biological mother's home. And although I had a very safe space at my dad's and who are my parents now, my dad, they've always been my parents, but anyway, my stepmom and my dad, it was a very safe space. The, the contrast in that was, was enough for me to like have that safe space and heal. But then I was thrown right back into the environment with my biological mom. And so that developed in my brain, CPTSD, complex, complex PTSD. And I actually only understood that when I went back to therapy in 2021 um, and then finished that in 2022 and did the, did 12 months of healing for that. And that was mind blowing to me whenever my therapist brought that up. She's like, yeah, you have complex PTSD. And I was like, girl, no, 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 no. I had the PTSD. She's like, no, 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 no. This is something different. This is coming from something completely different. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> so great. <laughs> it's obviously really good now because uh, I'm healing from it. Um, and then, yeah, so they're, they're, they're a little bit different. For me, in my experience, I cannot speak for anyone else. The CPT, the C, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> my God, I've been talking for too long. The complex PTSD was a lot more emotional and mental for me of like limiting beliefs and 
working through like these subconscious blocks as where the the PTSD was like very fucking pronounced. Um, the CPS, oh my God, I can't say it with a C. That's what it is. CPTSD, holy, is it a lot of E, CPTSD, holy shit. God, it's like a tongue twister. But that for me was like, just like, I know I believe this. I know that this is subconscious belief. I know why it's subconscious belief. I know, you know, why I, I feel it. I know why I'm struggling with it. So why am I still struggling with it? And then that's whenever... I learned obviously that you can know and understand things logically and analytically, but you still need to feel them. And that's what ends up healing the CPTSD um, and heals everything, regardless of whether you have PTSD or complex PTSD or not. Um, so they are a little bit different. And this is something that if you feel you're struggling with, you absolutely must see a mental health professional. It's not something that I can help you with. I don't focus on this with clients because I am not a trauma specialist. I am trauma informed. I have a trauma informed practice. However, that's not my specialty. My specialty is rewiring your brain after you've done the bulk of your healing, the core of your healing. So anyways, that is kind of where I'm going to leave all of the informational points of this episode and of this conversation. But I want to do some emotional follow-up with you. So if you want to get out your notes app or you've got a pen and a paper or a journal or a notebook, I just want you to write these questions down and this will be like a really great start for you to work through this. What is one emotion you struggle feeling or accepting in your life today? Be sadness, fear, anger, vulnerability. When was the first time you remember pushing away this emotion or this thought? And why are you afraid of exploring or sitting in this emotion or thought or your mind even? What are you afraid is going to happen if you feel this, acknowledge this or accept this? What are you afraid about yourself? What are you afraid you're going to find? And what do you need right now to support you through exploring this emotion or this thought? Is there something that you need from yourself? Do you need to reach out to someone who's qualified to help you with this? Whatever it is, just focus on that. And if you're ready to start exploring this, I really do think my workshop is going to help you. It's I, I literally designed it for this because a lot of people in our community struggle with this. All of my clients have struggled with this. I struggled with this. It's why we are where we are now in the Mads Mess business. You know, it's why it's why I do this work. And I feel very privileged and very honored. So if you want to go through this experience and you want to learn to sit with your emotions, the hypnotherapy is going to bring you through that. I, it, it's hypnotherapy because it's a technique that I developed. It's going to bring you consciously. Like you're not going to be passed out. You're not going to be, it's like, it's just a deeper level of like a meditative experience. It's very conscious. It's very contemplative. You're going to do a lot of introspection and you're going to learn more about um, emotions and the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and your belief systems and your emotional well-being. So I will leave that link below. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I don't know how long I have been. I feel like it's been an hour and a half almost. I don't know. But I am so grateful that I 
you know, was brought into this conversation earlier this week because I feel really good about this episode. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very grateful that I was inspired for this episode. I really, really am. I'm feeling really good about it. And it's just really a moment for me to even sit here and reflect on how the universe is always guiding me on what you guys need and how to show up and provide you with the tools and the information and the actionables that you guys need to live happier, healthier, you know, lifestyles and have a healthier mind and a happier mind. So I, I don't know, I'm just feeling really, I'm just so happy that I was guided through for this. It just, I'm, I'm feeling really grateful for my role here and that I get to talk to you guys about this. And yeah, I, uh, I hope that you guys got everything that you needed out of it. And of course, if you have any questions, then please email me. I'm happy to, you know, kind of guide you in the right direction if you're needing any extra support. And as usual, go be your divine self this week. You got this. I love you.